Um, we're going to carry on looking into Psalms. If you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Psalm 91 this morning, super well-known Psalm. Um, so if you want to open that up, we're going to keep coming back to that place. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, um, we'll jump straight in. Father, I want to thank you that you're with us um, and that you speak. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us on our own just to kind of figure out this thing called life, that you, um, yeah, you speak and you want to lead us, you want to direct us, um, and you've given us your amazing life-changing word. Um, so I ask you to make it real to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, let me read this to you. It says this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, if you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I reckon probably after Psalm 23, this is probably pretty much the most well-known psalm, certainly one of the most quoted psalms. And and I get it. Like, it's honestly, it's one of my favourites. Because essentially, it is just one big, fat, long list of promise after promise after promise after promise. It's specifically about our protection, God being our refuge, him being our safe place. Um, so, so I get it. You know, it is the most amazing psalm of protection. Um, it's my go-to when, you know, if there are people or, you know, myself or family or, or people who are going through stuff, um, this is where I go. And I love praying this out loud over people. It's brilliant. Just saying like, God, this is what you've said. This is what it is. Um, and there's, you know, there's a real power in that. You know, Ali's absolutely right. Like, just get into God's word. But sometimes speaking it out loud. It's really good. Um, but essentially for me, this psalm is f- like, it's full of, it's this great big long list of promises in terms of God's commitment. Like there's God's part and what he says he will do. But there is also a part for us to play as well. But just let's look firstly at um, this list of promises, things that God says he will do and things that will happen, things that won't happen, like this certainty in terms of this is God's part, right? This is what he said. So it says, you know, those who live in the shadow of the most high will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It says, he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. It says, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you 
and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. There's a lot of wills and will nots in this arm, right? You getting it? You will tread on the lion, the cobra, you'll trample the great lion and the serpent. And God says, I will rescue, I will protect, I will answer, I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver him, I will honour him, and with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's a whole lot of God wills, right? That's a whole load of promises. It's just one after another after another. That is what God says. That's his commitment. That is his part. And listen, we need to be absolutely rock solidly clear that God isn't just the great promise maker. He is absolutely the great promise keeper. So if he said it, he'll do it, right? But that's where our confidence comes from. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, let us hold unswervingly, like not budging, not changing direction to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful, and in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he'd change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? That's a rhetorical question, right? The answer is no. Like he's not, he's not like us, right? If he says something, he is also going to act. If he promises something, he is going to fulfill it. Like that's God's part. He is promise maker. He is promise keeper. But does that mean, you know, is that the end of the sermon? Okay, grab your coffee. Like, actually, you know, look at all these promises in Psalm 91. You can have them all, right? Yes, we can have them all. But that, it doesn't mean those things just happen. Because actually there is a part for us to play as well. The psalm does actually, this psalm, um, it does kind of indicate, do you know what, there is a little bit of a, con- there's a conditional element, right? There's some ifs um, for us to do. So verses one and two. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's not, Everyone can find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, you will find rest, right? So we need to be the ones who dwell. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. There's some stuff we need to say. Verse 9, if you say the Lord is my refuge, own it, personalize it, make it your decision. Not the Lord is a refuge. The Lord is my parents' refuge. The Lord is my refuge. I'm owning this. And if you make the Most High your dwelling, right? If you do that, then no harm will overtake you. Like there is an if, right? There's some stuff for us to own and personalize. Verse 14, then God says, because he loves me, I will rescue. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Again, it's conditional. As we acknowledge his name, he commits to, pro- to protect us. As we choose to love him, he promises to rescue us. There's God's part, but there is a part for us as well. And essentially, it's five things, really. I think the psalm is saying, listen, we're to dwell in him, we're to say of him, we're to love him, trust him, and acknowledge him. Pretty simple, right? That's our part. His part is to fulfill those promises. Our part is to do those things. So this idea of dwelling, right? The the Hebrew word is yashab. Um, It's where it says, you know, those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, or if you make the Lord your dwelling. This word yashab means to dwell, to sit down, and to remain, right? That that remain part of it is important because it, it implies, listen, accessing these promises means you and I live in a place where there is some permanence there's some longevity to actually do you know what I I come into God's presence and I stay it's not an in and out it's not you know God is our dwelling place not our occasional refuge 
right? There is a longevity to dwelling, which is completely different from just occasionally visiting. That's the call for you and I to make him our dwelling place, not just to visit occasionally, right? So it's a lifestyle of decisions. It's not just a one-off decision when I became a Christian 30-odd years ago. It's not that I made him my dwelling then. It's like I make him continually, I make him my dwelling place. And that, that is the call and the invitation, that there is a, a permanency, a commitment, a longevity to this is, I'm in this for the long haul. I dwell in him, not just kind of in and out. Max Licata, who's a really well-known Christian author, has written a ton of books. Um, he says this, he says, God wants to be your dwelling place. He has no interest in being a weekend getaway or a Sunday bungalow or a summer cottage. Don't consider using God as a vacation cabin or an eventual retirement home. He wants to be the one in whom we live and move and have our being. He's quoting from Acts 17 then. Right, that's the deal. So that would be my question. Actually, are you making God your dwelling place or are you maybe more thinking that he is, you know, as a weekend getaway? He's been my retirement home, so I'm kind of cashing my chips in and that's where I'll end up. Or actually, right here, right now, are you making him your dwelling place? Because that's the call. And part of that is going to involve um, these other things that we see on our part, which is actually what are we saying of God and what are we acknowledging about him? So it says, if you say of him, he is my refuge, right? There's some stuff, like saying things is important, right? That's when Jesus is having this amazing dialogue with Peter and Peter's saying, you know, some people are saying you're this, some are saying the other. And Jesus looks him square in the eyes and says, Rabbi, who do you say I am? And then we see this bit in the Bible. It's called Peter's Confession of Faith, where he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Actually, it matters what we say. Actually, making that declaration. And honestly, that's a, it's a good question. Like, actually, who do you say Jesus is? But it can't just be a conversation. Right? It actually needs to be backed up, not just in what I say, but how I live. And, and this is where I think it ties for me. Like, what do we say of him and how do we acknowledge his name? These two things are connected acknowledging God's name, that's what it says, right? If you say, the Lord is my refuge, if you acknowledge his name, acknowledging God's name isn't just I'm familiar with it or even I could tell you some of the Hebrew names of God. Like in the Bible, like names are reflective of character, right? A little bit different, like that's not so much, like Phil is always miserable because his name means lover of horses. He's like, it's the most ridiculous meaning of anyone, any. My name means princess, which is obviously great. Right, but we don't, I mean, sometimes we do, right? Actually, thinking, I, we did think about that with our kids. Luke means bringer of light. Abby means a, a joy of her father. I'm like, yeah, no, actually, that does mean something. But even more so in the Bible, right? So when we are saying we acknowledge the name of God, it means we acknowledge who he is, right? So God is almighty. He's creator. He's king. He is a perfect judge. He is a loving father. He, like, that's who he is. So it's not just I'm acknowledging this is some names the Bible says. I'm acknowledging this is who God is. And that needs to, again, be an ongoing, not a what, historical thing. But we cannot afford to be people who just pay lip service to that, right? It's not good enough for me to say, I believe God is almighty. I believe he's king. I believe he's savior. I believe he's Lord. That has got to look something like something in my life right? In the same way that the challenge is, am I making God my dwelling place or am I just occasionally taking refuge if things get really hairy and I haven't got any other ideas? There's a difference. Am I acknowledging who he is as much in my lifestyle as I am in the things that I say? Like it really matters. 
We can't afford to be a people who pay lip service to what we say we believe. It's got to look like something. And it's an ongoing thing, right? Proverbs 3, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So all of the stuff that you do, everything you post on social media, everything that comes out of your mouth, everything that you spend your money on, every, the way that you treat your boss who's being unreasonable, the way you treat someone who's homeless, in all of your ways, you acknowledge who you say God is. And it has to look like something. Can't afford just to pay lip service to it, right? So there's power, in, power life, and death in our tongue, right? So what we confess, what we say and speak out, what we say we believe about who God is and who he says we are and what's possible in his kingdom, it matters what you say, but it absolutely has to be backed up by how we live our lives. And that is part of what it is, I think, for us to be a people who are making him our dwelling place so that in every area of my life, I'm constantly living in that awareness that God's with me. Not in a big brother, he's watching over me, like, but actually he's with me all the time. So it has to look like something. The stuff that I say I believe about God has got to be outworked, right? So it's super easy to say, my confidence is in God most high. Actually, is that true? Or is my confidence in my salary and my bank balance? Is my confidence in my relationship status or my popularity? Is it in the number of likes I got on a Facebook post or Instagram? Like, is that where my confidence is coming from? Or, or genuinely, is my confidence in God? And listen, this is a journey for all of us, right? Just like, none of us are there yet. If we say, God's word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet, right? Super easy to spout out some scripture. The Bible's really important, it's God's word. Right? But what does that mean? Actually, if God's word is a light to my path, I have got to read it and I've got to do what it says. James is really clear about this. I like the book of James. Seriously, no nonsense. It says this. Um, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like you glance at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, it sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Essentially, he's saying, right, don't just hear the word, don't just say the word, do it. He's like, otherwise, you are kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You are having a laugh if you just look at the word and don't do what it says. Right? It's like you look in the mirror and you go away and you completely forget your makeup's all over the place. Right? Look into the word of God. It's the perfect law that brings us freedom, but not just that we have to acknowledge it with our lives, just not with what we say, right? You know, we say, God is my refuge. Like, like is he? One of the translations, I think it's the New Living, it says, I will say of the Lord, he alone is my refuge. There's an exclusivity about it. And honestly, that is a good question to ask ourselves. Is God my refuge? Or is it TV? Or shopping? For some people, apparently, that's a good thing. Like, is it? Is it food? Is it alcohol? Is it performance at work? Like, actually, when you're under pressure... When stuff is feeling shaky and unsure, where, actually where do you take refuge? Is it in God? Or, or is it actually, you know, is he, you know, one of your options? And if the others don't fail, then maybe you'll end up there. It's easy to say God is my refuge, but it's got to look like something. God is my provider, right? We say that. We believe my God shall provide for all of my needs. Can spout the Bible at you, no problems. What does that look like? Actually, I believe that God is my provider, but actually, I'm not, I'm not going to trust him to tithe and, and I'm not going to you know, write that check for that mission organisation or that charity that I kind of feel like, or I'm not going to pay for that person shopping in front of me, even though I feel like the Holy Spirit's asking me to. 
Actually, if you say you believe God is your provider, it's going to look like something with where and how you spend your money. So we can't afford to be people who just pay lip service. We can't just acknowledge him with what we say. We have to acknowledge him with how we live. And that's what it is to trust God, right? Your life and mine needs to say, I believe in who God says he is and I trust him, which means actually I'm going to, I'm going to put a requirement on that. I'm going to put some weight on it. The Amplified Version um, is really helpful in this. In verses 2 and 14 of, of Psalm 91, it says, He is my God in whom I trust with great confidence and on whom I rely. And verse 14 says, Because he set his love on me, I will save him. Because he knows my name and he confidently trusts and relies on me. Like to rely on someone is actually, do you know what? I'm leaning on them. I'm putting some weight on it. So the things that I say I believe, I'm, I'm actually going to put some weight on those things. And so it's active on your part and mine. And I think the danger we can get into is sometimes, is, you know, we understand that everything is a free gift by grace, and it is. But we can end up in a very passive way of living, which honestly is more about presumption than it is in active faith. I want to explain what I mean by that. You know, presumption is just all of the promises of Psalm 91 are yes and amen in Jesus, and they're just going to land in my lap regardless of what I do. It's presumption. It's not active faith, which is I am making God my dwelling place. We have to be active. You know, to dwell in God is it's almost the difference between, and again, this analogy probably falls a bit short, but actually what changes a, a house from just being a house is that actually that you move in and you live in it to make it a home. You dwell in it. It's like your, play, you know, it's your safe place where you can rest and recharge. Like that's the image that we get. But a house doesn't become a home without any intentionality or, or activity or, or effort on our part, right? There is stuff we have to do on an ongoing basis to dwell in our homes. Yeah? It's the same with our life with the Lord. We need to be super careful that we don't have a passive approach to this, which is, you know, I just presume that I, you know, sit back and I reap all these promises um, without doing anything. It's just all going to land in my lap. That is presumption, and that is a poor counterfeit for an actual active living faith, which is what God's calling us to. But on the other hand, please, we need to be super careful that in understanding, listen, we have a part to play, is that we don't fall back into thinking we somehow have to earn it, right? That, that isn't it. They are, these promises, like every promise of God, are free gifts given to us. But we, have, we do have to position ourselves to receive them, right? And I think this is the important difference we understand. It's not that you have to earn them, but you do have to position yourself for them, right? So maybe it's like there's, you know, God has made this incredible shower, right? And he's, he's plumbed it all in and he, he's, he's bought all the pipes and he's bought everything that's needed and he's fitted it up with a boiler and he's going to pay all of the bills and there is a constant stream of hot water. It's never going to go cold, never going to run out. But listen, you and I have to stand underneath the shower to receive from it, right? That's the picture of God's promises. It's not that he's given you a, you know, here's a plumbing kit and a DIY guide, good luck. It's not even like he's kind of rigged it all up and's like, hey, listen, so just so you know, Sarah, there's going to be a big bill to pay at the end of it. Like, that's not it. You're, you don't have to do the plumbing. You don't have to put the shower together. Neither do you, neither do you have to pay any of the bills, but you do have to position yourself underneath it. And that is an active choice for you and I. So it's important we understand the difference. It's not that we have to earn these promises. So when I say there's a, a conditional element to it, I'm not saying that we have to earn it, 
But I am saying, listen, we do have a responsibility to position ourselves. All of the promises of God, yes, they are yes and amen in Jesus. But for we need to therefore be in Jesus, positioning ourselves there to receive from it. And do you know what? Actually, if you look at the New Testament particularly, the word, the phrase that is most commonly used for people following Jesus, believers, the early church, the disciples, the most common phrase that's used by any other is to be talked about those who are in Christ. Paul uses it well over 160 times just in his letters, right? I think the word Christian is only used, I think, three times. Sometimes used believers, but by far the most common word is for those in Christ, which, like, for me, it's like, oh, that's, that's the same language as dwelling, making God our dwelling place, as being in Jesus, right? So if, if Paul is saying, listen, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, then as a believer, as a follower, as someone who's committed to Jesus, I need to position myself in him to get underneath that shower of all those promises which are yes and amen. But if I'm firmly standing over here doing my own thing, I'm not going to get wet, That's the deal. So dwelling in him is a positional thing. It's where I choose to say, I am in Jesus. And it's not, I was like, what does that actually mean to be in Jesus? It's not like it's, you know, a spanner in a toolbox. It's more a, it's more a, you know, your leg being in your body or a branch being in a tree. It's that completely organic, united relationship, which is what Jesus talks about at the Last Supper when he talks about being the vine and we're the branches, Right? And he says, you know, abide in me and I will abide in you. And that's the beautiful thing is that this dwelling, it's a mutual thing, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are now the dwelling place of God, which is bonkers. Like that just is crazy. That's what the Bible says. But as well, you and I get to dwell in him. And that, this, Jesus is the same thing. Abide in me as I abide in you. There's this unity, this connection, this living constantly aware of who God is and living according to that. So when we can't afford to be just believers, right? We need to be those who are acknowledging him with our lives absolutely as much as we're acknowledging him and what we say. We choose to be in Jesus, right? But as we do that, we absolutely should believe and expect to see these promises to be real for us. Right? I've prayed this psalm so many times over people struggling, like particularly folks who... Um, walking through cancer it's a powerful psalm that actually promises god protection and deliverance and like it's amazing praying it out loud so we absolutely should expect as while these yes there's an acknowledgement i need to position myself as i do that then absolutely they're yes and amen for me i remember um I remember a good few years ago now just before my granddad died he was in hospital for quite a long while and then ended up in a nursing home and um he was on a ward. Now, I'm, I want to caveat by saying I, I love the NHS. I am very proud of our National Health Service. I worked in the NHS for 15 years. I love it. I'm a passionate believer in support of the NHS. And I, but at, in this particular moment, my gramps wasn't being super well looked after. Um, and it was little things. You know, he was really frail, couldn't feed himself. And they bring his lunch and put it on that wheelie table that slides over your bed. And then they'd leave it at the foot of his bed so he couldn't reach it. And no, you know, So then they'd come and think, oh, he wasn't hungry and take his food away. And, you know, little things like, you know, just not looking after his dignity and making sure his blankets... You know, just little things that actually were really beginning to take its toll. And my gramps was a super peaceful, content, thankful guy. Um, But he was just getting really anxious about it. And my granny was really distressed. It was just like 
this is just not good. And I genuinely, I have no idea whose idea it was, but I remember sitting, we were down visiting, and I remember as a family, we sat down in my mum and dad's lounge and said, right, Psalm 91 was my granddad's favourite psalm. So we're like, right, we're going to pray this over granddad and we're actually going to expect that some stuff's going to change. And so particularly those last few verses, you know, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. So we're like, right, granddad has loved you and served you for the whole of his 90 plus years. So you've promised that you're going to rescue him. You said you will protect those who trust in my name. He absolutely trusts in your name. So God, would you come and protect him? When they call on me, I will answer. I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. And I remember we just prayed it as a family over him. And I think my dad printed it out in like super big font because my gramps' eyesight wasn't very good. And one of us would kind of read it with him when we went to visit and he would read it over itself. And, and honestly, it, it made such a profound difference. And, you know, I think my, my dad leaning on the nurses, my dad was a consultant in the same hospital. So he went to say, hey, listen, Please look after my father-in-law. My dad was not the kind of chuck himself his weight around at all. But some conversations did happen, which helped. But my granddad's countenance completely changed from being, you know, really unsettled and really anxious, just like praying the word of God over him. It just changed stuff. It's like, actually, that place of refuge and safety and security, it was like, oh, yeah, this is where I'm at again. So absolutely, those promises are for you and I. Yes, we need to position ourselves to get under the flow of them, but they're, but they're absolutely for us. So I think it's a good question, not just at the beginning of the year. Phil and I always aggressively resist the need to do a, a year-defining message in the first Sunday back. I'm not doing that. But actually, this is, a good, this is a good checkpoint at any point in the year. Actually, what does it mean for God to be your dwelling place? And actually, probably that's not the most important thing. Not what does it mean. What does it need to look like for God to be your dwelling place, yours. Where, you know, whatever age you're at, you know, where, however long you've known Jesus, whatever you're doing with life, whatever's kind of going good or bad, whatever's happening in life, right now for you, what does that look like for you to make God your dwelling place, not your occasional place of refuge? Because there's a difference. Actually, what does it look like for you to acknowledge who God is with what you say and absolutely with what you do as well. So that you're not, you know, we're not just paying lip service to some stuff we say that we believe. We're not just believers in Jesus. We are absolutely committed followers of Jesus. Just believing the right stuff is not going to get us there. We need to commit to follow, to be in Jesus. What does that look like? Because when we, when we position ourselves there, then these promises of refuge, of shelter, of protection are absolutely available for us. But I, I want us to like, recognise, all right, what does that look like for me? God, I see your part, but I don't want to be in passive presumption. I want to have an active living faith, which is I'm going to position myself. I'm going to do my part to see myself receive the fulfilment of all these amazing promises. Does that make sense? All righty. So I want to pray. Um...